Did You Have To? is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Did You Have To? The podcast where we look at the live action adaptations of your favorite anime. And as always, I'm Kate. And I'm Nisha. And we have a special guest today, Hector Novato from DC Daily. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for rolling those R's. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, I I, I appreciate when I have time to roll (laughs) my R's. (laughs) I also have a name where it gets pronounced Sanchez. And so I'm like, ooh, I I feel Mm -hmm. like I'll I'll roll them instead of unroll them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me so much. I'm really excited to talk about uh, what we're talking about today. Yeah, which is Alita Battle Angel. Um, It just came out this past weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get into Alita and all those things, we have to do crunch time, which if this is your first time tuning in, this is the part of the show where we talk about the things that we are watching on Crunchyroll or whatever anime that is just making its way into our life. Um, So I will go first and I am watching an oldie but a goodie. The uh, I guess it's kind of etchy Food Wars. <laughs> nice. The show is a, is just nice. absurd, so absurd. Um, but it, it's a good turn your brain off show. Mm-hmm. Um, which if if you have you guys seen Food Wars before? Yes, <laughs> I haven't. No, and I think I know which one you're talking about. But remind me what the premise of Food Wars is. So the premise of Food Wars is a, a young chef. Um, and, and you chef lightly, right? Nobody else thinks he's a chef. He's from a poor part of town, owns a super small restaurant, but is the best restaurant on his block in the area for what they do. Um, and he goes into a prestigious culinary school. But because it is Echi, the food is hyper, hyper sexualized and <laughs> an entire experience to have in your mouth. Um, so <laughs> they take food gasm to like a new level. They do. Um, yeah. But... The food is like, if you think Studio Ghibli food looks good and makes you hungry, mm-hmm. the food illustration in this show is really good. Um, it's really absurd. It's really funny. It's also one of those things where my husband walked in the room and was like, what the hell are you watching right now? And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just Food Wars. Oh, um, great. And he's not an anime watcher, so that was that was a whole bunch of fun. He's walked in on two animes now, and it was a Devil Man Cry Baby, which was also not a good thing for him to walk in on, <laughs> and uh, Food Wars. So uh, I'm a bad in a, a perfect zero right now for him being intrigued by anime I watch, but I think everybody should check it out. <laughs> and about you, Nisha? Yeah, so me, I picked one that we've kind of mentioned before by accident because you were talking about real life. And I've confused that before with a different one. So this is the actually the one I mentioned. It's called ReZero, Starting Life in Another World. So it's about a boy. He's a high school student. And he somehow, he's like walking out of a convenience store. And he's somehow transported into like another world where mages, fairies, elves, like all the magical stuff is there. And the thing about it is that he gets to a certain point and he dies but then he comes back. And the reason why I chose this one is because I just watched Russian Doll. And mm. I was just like, huh, I really do like the whole Groundhog Day-esque like, theme in a lot of like TV series and shows. Because like, what he realizes is like either something is trying to kill him or he dies from like making a bad mistake. And, like, and he's trying to navigate and realize he's there for a purpose to stop a really bad thing from happening. Um, 
because it's all it's about like all the connections with these different people that he builds along the way in this alternate reality or alternate dimension Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting it does have the trope of you know like average high school boy becomes a heartthrob to multiple anime girls (laughs) that that, that good good harem in there yeah they gotta gotta stay on brand but all the women are badass and they can fight so i'ma let it rock (laughs) that's usually all i have to take i'm like oh there's a harem okay fine i can i can let it rock as long as the women can kick ass (laughs) <laughs> and it's not too creepy it's not creepy it's not that creepy like i, have to I say feel like that. you have to put that disclaimer on all the anime that you bring up i do and i apologize for traumatizing people you can't keep holding promise neverland over my head i will though <laughs> <laughs> have you have you have you heard of promise neverland i have not no oh well let me tell you real quick oh, please God. please <laughs> sorry the evil laugh jumped out um so basically, children, they believe they're in an orphanage, and they mm-hmm. that's the only life they ever known. They've grown up there with their mama. That's their caretaker. Um, so they believe that, oh, this is a perfect life, and when we turn 12, we get adopted, and we go to loving families. It's a lie. They actually Uh-oh. are being grown up. They're actually being fed and taken care of, so they be- can become demon food. Oh, my gosh. I, that Well, that went a place I didn't think it was going to go yep. to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's okay. my favorite okay. thing about my life. about the show. it is it is it is a beautifully animated show and it is a really good show but like you gotta be ready for it yeah the juxtaposition that's what i like about the juxtaposition of oh this looks like a really good interesting show about kids and like living in a loving family but just like anime loves to anime Mm. they put the children in danger and they are now dealing with very very serious issues of survival and trying to escape from their nightmare to the promised neverland i think we have our first t-shirt saying to anime gonna anime i like that a lot yeah (laughs) but somebody who's not even who doesn't feel like they're really within the world of anime and who might feel like an outsider that still makes sense to me anime is gonna anime yep it applies to so much yeah so what are you reading, watching? Um, doesn't have to be anime if you aren't mm-hmm. watching any. Um, what are you mm. what are you what what are you consuming, Hector? Oh, uh well right now I'm not doing anything anime because my girlfriend and I we do a thing where we watch one live action show at a time and along with one animated show at a time. And right now okay. we're watching uh Brooklyn Nine Nine, which I've never seen and we're in the first season, and we're watching on Netflix uh She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Oh, that's and awesome. We're almost done with She-Ra. I really, really like it. I think it's a mm-hmm. great um I just think it's really great. It's really clever, it's really cute, it's really funny. And mm-hmm. it's really real is, is kind of a, a an interesting thing I find about it. The way that the characters speak, they're all young people, but the way that they talk is like, it doesn't feel as written as another show that's like that. Um, yeah. That's sort of, you know, marketed towards maybe the, a similar age group. It doesn't feel like it's like, like the show talks down to you, which I guess makes sense because it's, it's, it's being like show run by Noelle Stevenson. And I believe she did, um, Lumberjanes, which is the same kind of thing oh. that's a comic book about a group of um, young girls. And it's kind of cartoony and really cutesy, but they are um, in a summer camp for girls. And then you learn that they fight monsters and werewolves and stuff like that. 
Um, but but it's it's about the characters' interactions and stuff. So I really like that. So we've been trying to figure out what we're gonna watch. So like we'll finish Shira, and then it's like okay, what's the animated thing we're watching next? Mm. What's the when we done when we're done with our sitcom? What's the live action show we're gonna watch next? And we sort yeah. of we keep a list and we, and, and like, if something piques my interest, I'll be like, would you want to watch this with me or should I watch it on my own? And it's either like, ah, I'll watch it with you or now nah, you should do that one on your own. Um, the last anime, I feel like we did, uh, my girlfriend is a voice actor. She also lived in Japan for six years. She's from oh, wow. Massachusetts originally. So she has a very interesting perspective on a lot of stuff and she loves anime and manga and everything. Um, and she's actually borrowing, Battle Angel Alita right now because I got it in prep preparation for the movie and then we went and saw the movie and I was so excited to take her to see it and we were ended ended up talking about it afterwards and I was like I need you to read the comic as well I need you to read the manga just to like to get her thoughts on it but um so I was really excited when we first started dating years ago now that like she could provide more of a um here's the anime you should watch as, from, from somebody who might not be familiar with the world yet. And I could provide, because yeah. my whole background is like, I've loved superheroes and comics since I was a kid. So like mm-hmm. I can curate the good superhero comics for her. If she watches a movie or a show and she's like, like she really liked Dr. Strange because she likes the idea, right? Yeah. You went and saw the movie. So I'm like, okay, let me get you the good Dr. Strange comics. So you don't have to mm-hmm. like waste your time with the bad stuff. So, so the last anime I feel like we did because I have these big gaping holes of, of anime viewing was Cowboy Bebop that I had never finished. Oh, no, that is a too. great watch. It's that a is. great watch. So, and that was something I, I want to go back and restart it because we got like a couple episodes into it and then it got away from us. And then mm-hmm. like I was trying to do some research and figure out where in the timeline the movie fits and all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. but now with, with them, apparently they're going to do that as a show, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Netflix. I think it cool. starts production in April. Very interesting. Very interested yeah. in that project and how it turns out so like that's one that that, that um uh I, it's on our list and i i should bump it to the top so that when we're done with shira i can go and tackle that next yeah yeah and that one's a super manageable show too it's only yes. 26 mm-hmm. episodes yes yeah <laughs> say with a question mark in the movie in the movie if you saw adventurous yeah. but honestly it's like i get lost i've seen that series tons of times mm-hmm. and every time i've noticed something like oh i did not notice that before because i was so lost in the music and the art of this show cool so like it's it's, it's such a good watch like cool you can always turn it on yeah i had the i had the uh i guess like the honor of hearing bo billingsley the voice of jet black uh talk um at an anime convention we went to and the way he talks about cowboy bebop and his role as jet like he's not one of those voice actors or actors in general that's like oh don't don't ever associate me with one of the things i did in the beginning oh sure no he's like he lives it he he Mm -hmm. takes pictures with all the cowboy bebop cosplayers and he talks about like the different layers of like how when steve bloom and him were um you know steve bloom would exit the booth he would go in they would leave notes to each other as jet and as spike yeah in the script um so that's definitely that's definitely a good one that's a really good one cool i attempted to get my husband to watch it but i started with the second episode which is about the corgi and he was like what the hell are you showing me and i was like maybe that wasn't a good one to start with (laughs) yeah i'm really curious to see what the adaptation is going to be because Mm -hmm. it's because from what i've seen it feels like it is it is in a good way more universal than other very Japanese specific stories 
mm-hmm. you know, yes. in anime are. So it's like, I think they could kind of like Alita. Like mm-hmm. I think that they yeah. could, I don't want to say get away with changing things, but it feels like it feels like it would lend itself to a, a more universal international adaptation. Oh, for sure. You know, versus, versus other um, material from Japan. Yeah, because me and oh sorry, Kate, you go. Oh no, you go ahead. No, I was gonna say because like me and Kate have definitely talked about this a bunch of times as we like mm-hmm. started this show to now. We're just like the thing about like a show like Cowboy Bebop is that it's not confined to like Earth, and it's not confined because like Spike is Martian. Like I think mm-hmm. that's like so. He, I think I, I'm remembering that right. Like he says he grew up on Mars, so it's like he's technically a Martian, and it's so far ahead in the future where it's like people have colonized different worlds, and like you can obviously see like the the world of Cowboy Bebop is very diverse and has is full of culture, mm-hmm. but there's not one set culture right. because they've developed their own new like oh well this is Martian this is like Martian tradition thing here, yeah. and then like this is how people do things on Jupiter, and you're just like oh wow like, that. It's just it's so creative how the creator did that whole mm-hmm. like just world building there and that Absolutely. was one of the things that when actually when i watched netflix's altered carbon mm-hmm. um that the first thing i thought of was holy crap this reminds me of cowboy bebop and this would be a world mm-hmm. that i would see like if they can adapt this they could do that. And this is before they had announced cool. it. I think, I think they've been like plugging uh, a live action of Cowboy Bebop for some time now, but they hadn't announced that it was final. And I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty close. Alter Carbon is probably one of my favorite sci-fi shows of last year. Um, cool. But yeah, I think they have the chops to do it. Entirely. That's good. Mm-hmm. It gives me hope. That gives me hope. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but time to talk about the adaptation that we're here to talk about. <laughs> Alita Battle Angel, which I may end up saying Battle Angel Alita because it's a little oh, bit different. Same. So the movie that we're talking about that was directed by Robert Rodriguez is mm-hmm. Alita colon Battle Angel. But the Japanese manga and OVA mm-hmm. is Battle Angel Alita or um, Gunnam. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. It's G-U-N-N-M. Um, and so we're working with a few different names. It came into my life first as Battle Angel Alita. Um, so I apologize in advance if I throw anybody off because I know that Dan, I, I know I mentioned him a lot, but he's kind of my litmus test for like a, a listener who doesn't know anime is like, I kept switching Battle Angel Alita and Alita Battle Angel. And my husband was just like, what are you talking about? These are the same thing, right? I was like, yes, yes, they are. I apologize. Um, so... Yeah, the thing that that I liked was um, the producer of the movie said that he was able to convince James Cameron to change the title from Battle Angel Alita to Alita colon Battle Angel because he told James Cameron, we only make movies that start with either A or T. Oh, and, what? And what? and I and I thought about that and I was like, wait a minute, going back to Aliens and then The Abyss and then Terminator and then True Lies and then Titanic and then Avatar, and I think he was correct. Other than like Piranha 2, which I think was James Cameron's first movie he directed. <laughs> um so I thought that, wow. that was really funny. And that's that's what made me that's what stuck it in my head that it is Alita Battle Angel because it's a it's a Alita, Alita because of the A. So <laughs> yeah. I actually really appreciate the name change now. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. My OCD appreciates that. um so to start out like we always do we always like to give everybody kind of a baseline of where we are with um the source material before we got to this Mm -hmm. movie um so i have read 
the first two arcs of Alita, which uh, the first arc is the Scrapyard arc, which encompasses this movie, and the OVA. And I've watched the OVA, and I've read one arc after. And I actually think I read the entire series, but it's been so damn long now. Because um, the series came out... Let me just make sure. I don't want to get added. Yeah, so the series came out before I was born. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A year before I was born. Um, so I obviously have not read it all, but it is nine volumes. I've read the first three or four. Um, and eventually I'm going to make my way back to go to go listen to it, though. Cool. Uh, or not listen to it, to go read it, though, um, especially after the movie. How about you guys? Uh, I, For me, honestly, gifts. I'm not gonna like. I, I think my introduction to this movie, like to this franchise, was gifts. Like I have always known the name, but it wasn't until like I watched the OVA before going to see the movie, and I was just like, I swear I've seen this before, and I'm not sure if it's like a distant memory. I saw it before, like maybe Toonami aired it. If they ever did, then that's a high possibility. Or I just have seen the gifts so much that I think I have seen part of the movie. So I'm just going to go with the fact that this is my first time watching the OVA through completion. Um, so that's like my first full interaction, but gifts really, because I was like, I've seen it and I know I've known of Alita. Yeah, I'm going to mess it up. Battle Angel Alita. <laughs> um, but I don't think I've ever, I haven't explored the manga just because like, that's one thing I think I'm going to like just binge read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember hearing a while back that James Cameron actually did have the rights to this and I, and then through there, I must have learned what it was, or like mm-hmm. had a very passing knowledge mm-hmm. of of the the manga, the comic book, and and um and then I remember visiting, I remember seeing like the nice newer hardcovers of the of the of the volumes that they put out recently in the past few years, uh, in like a bookstore and a comic or, or or a comic book store, and it wasn't until I had an opportunity to go do. So like I think the trailer was coming out. So then it's like, oh okay, they're they're making this movie and it's and it's happening and it's um like Weta Digital's doing it. So it's the people that did like the special effects for, you know, Caesar and Planet of the Apes. They're they're deciding not to do an actor but like a CG character. Mm. So then once the trailer hit, and then I had an opportunity to go visit um, New Zealand on behalf of Nerdist and do like press for the movie. That's when I went and picked up the first volume hardcover just so that I could have some base knowledge before going into what ultimately would be like a brand new experience for me. So I'd always had sort of passing knowledge of, okay, that's it. That is a a manga that exists. It's super popular. It's especially popular with a lot of comic book artists that Mm -hmm. were influenced by Mm -hmm. it. And I, and I, I remember reading or hearing about the influence of that in a bunch of other art and comics and stuff that I love. Like I'll give you another great example. I just got, um, Brendan Fletcher's book, um, motor crush which is this cool indie comic and and babs tar does the art for it and she's the one that did batgirl of burnside i love love yes i know exactly what you're talking about yes so babs tar is doing the art for this book called motor crush so i go to pick it up and in the in and in like the not in that intro but it's a book that is supposed to be super influenced by the world of alita um and i read it and i picked up the second volume and haven't read it yet but it's super cool it's like speed racer it's it's kind of like you guys were saying it's like sort of a future world where there's a bunch of different cultures and everything it's not like american centric but it just looks so cool and then when i read the first volume of battle angel alita brennan fletcher does the or no i think it's cameron stewart does the um one of the two they do like the intro to it and they talk about how it influenced their 
art and it blew their mind when they read it. Oh, wow. So in terms of like mm. from the American comics perspective, it is it is hugely influential. I never got into it until I had the excuse to go do the press for the movie and then read the first volume and then saw the movie weeks before it came out. And I was so ready for this movie to come out so that I could talk about it with people. I've been like, (laughs) I have been going crazy, just like waiting. Like I saw when I, after I saw the movie, I kept seeing the same material, like promotional material, that same poster with Alita with the little red paint under her eye. And I'm the only one that knew that that was a dog's blood. And I'm freaking out. Like people have no idea how bonkers this movie is. And, um, and it's super cool. Um, so yeah, so then, so then like the movie finally comes out this weekend and then I went and took my dad and my girlfriend to see it. Uh, and, uh, that was super fun. So that's kind of where I came the knowledge that I had before going in to see the movie. And it was very interesting to, to have read only the first hardcover volume which covers some junkyard stuff, like you were saying, mm-hmm. Kate, and and some other stuff. But then watching the movie, they layered over the motorball sequence, yep. which happens later in the comic. Mm. They like they brought that up super earlier to kind of flesh out some of the um, some of the film. Because my reading from the from the first volume of the comic, my initial impression was this is this is insane and it's very yep. shallow. And it's very surface mm-hmm. level, just like action and like, you know, violence. Not that I was opposed to it, but just like it didn't seem as deep to me. Mm-hmm. And and my fear was like, oh, oh, boy, how are they going to how is an American movie studio or, you know, Western movie studios going to adapt this? They're really going to have to either change a lot of stuff or flesh stuff out. For me, uh, my takeaway for the movie is that they didn't change things. They really fleshed them out. And I thought that they yeah. did a really good job ultimately with the adaptation because I'm all of the criticisms that I've seen of the film, which are totally valid. There's a lot of criticisms about the way that they handled Alita's adolescence and that kind of metaphor, Mm. you know, the, the, some of the dialogue being kind of corny and stilted. (laughs) And in my brain, I'm going, yeah, but that's also the reason people love a lot of anime. That's also the reason people love a lot of Japanese storytelling and they love even when it's translated because it's translated and it's not perfect. And there's this quality of like, you know, I don't know, it's like an international movie or a a TV show. And you're like, what's going on? And you kind of feel like you don't know what's going on. Even if you're listening to it as like a dub in English, you're still like, why, why would they say it that way? What, you know, who speaks that way? And, Mm. And so, so for me, this, this was successful, in terms of adapting like the feel of something that originated in Japan while still having like, like American and, and Western and, and with Robert Rodriguez, like his sensibilities kind of plastered all over it, but it still felt at its core, like, like it was like a Japanese, like storytelling style. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's one yeah. of the things that we've. Uh, I wrote an article on it for uh, for But Why Though, and we've talked about it a lot, especially when we first did our episodes, especially on ones like Dragon Ball or Death Note, which ta- which tackle like um, just their different types of storytelling than we're used here. It's mm-hmm. like in in the U.S. Um, our storytelling is very much this is your origin this is where you're going Mm -hmm. this is how you end you never really stumble into things in the middle or see super fast progression or dealing with stuff and in a lot of anime people are just already strong and they have to learn how to do things with that strength which is something Mm -hmm. that usually doesn't translate well Um, and I think that there's this nice blend like you said Hector of like bringing in this western style while still keeping um, you know the anime pieces to it and one of the things that I've been doing is 
I, I definitely think there are valid critiques out there. Um, but I do know that a lot of the critiques, I mean, and they still stand because you can have it of the OVA too. But like mm-hmm. I've been telling people to go watch the OVA, which is available, which I'm going to say a lot of times this episode, guys, while you're listening, <laughs> open up that YouTube window, put in Battle Angel Alita. OVA, and it will pop up the entire thing, either in Japanese or English, and you can watch it. Um, That is only an hour long. Um, And like you said, it is, um, they put the motorball stuff on top of it to kind of elongate it and bring you more story. Um, But I completely agree that this is a more fleshed out world. Yes. But Mm -hmm. it's also, there are some like, straight scenes pulled from the OVA. And and, oh, um, yeah. and you're not sure what it is what OVA is. So OVB OVA means original um hold on I picked it up because I wasn't it's a original video animation and this means that it's not aired on television. This is something that is only released on VHS or DVD. Um cool. you see this happen with a lot of animes. Um mm-hmm. so this was something that was just released on VHS at the time. So like um, over here in the states, it would be like a direct-to-video movie, like a car- yep. like a direct-to-video cartoon movie. Got it. Yep. Cool. Exactly. Um, and so ultimately, when you watch that, you get a real sense for what um, what uh, Robert Rodriguez was trying to do. And this mm-hmm. is one of the things. Like before we get into it, I am tired of people just crediting James Cameron or just knocking the movie for James Cameron. Sure. Because mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez directed it. it. Yeah. Robert yep. Rodriguez reworked the script yep. with um uh, what's her name? Uh, uh Leda Calo Calogritis, cool. who is also a writing credit on the screenplay with Cameron. So this isn't just a James Cameron movie. James Cameron sure. may have had the rights mm-hmm. and is a producer, but there are as somebody who's been in love with Robert Rodriguez for almost like my entire life, although I still am mad that he made me think that Antonio Banderas was Mexican for the longest time. Like I was 23 when I realized he was a Spaniard. It was a difficult time. Um, <laughs> um, this very much feels like a movie that like like his movie. It does. Mm. Yeah. I learned some stuff when I did the press junket. I learned, first of all, I thought a, th- a thing that I thought was really interesting. James Cameron was effectively tied up with his Avatar movies, which is why he couldn't get this thing done. But at the same time, uh, he's had the rights for this for a long time, and he wrote a 500-page script. Whoo, and whoo. and that script was something that wasn't being easily greenlit. So mm. it felt like – I don't know if this is exactly the case, and I'm sure someone like James Cameron will never admit this. But it felt mm. like he almost couldn't crack it and specifically had a meeting with Robert and said, hey, I'm working on this thing. I know you like this thing. I'm doing my avatar thing. Do you want to like take a crack at it basically? Yeah. And so Mm. he gave his 500 page script to Robert Rodriguez and Robert pared it down to like a working 120, 140 page, whatever script. Wow. And when, and he did it like quickly and he was super excited about it. And when he like turned that script back in, James Cameron, and this is all from another producer, um, John Landau, who's been working Mm -hmm. with Cameron since I believe, Titanic, I want to say, maybe even earlier, maybe True Lies. I don't know. But John Landau was was giving us all this information. He also said when Cameron got the script back that James was expecting to flip through it and, and expecting that Robert Rodriguez, for the sake of movie, modern movie storytelling and probably Western storytelling, was going to take things away that James Cameron loved about the story. So as he was reading the script, he got to a point where he's like, 
where he was like, I knew they were going to take this thing out. He got to that point. He goes, oh, Robert left it in and then kept reading and expecting the next thing that he thought they were that he was going to take out. Oh, Robert left it in. And he left in all of the things that James Cameron loved about yeah. the script and about the mm. story that that basically cemented him the job. So it's a it's a really interesting collaboration of like Cameron throwing everything against the wall, possibly with a 500 page epic. And Robert Rodriguez, you know, figuring out how to do what he does, but also uh, do a James Cameron style movie. I was also told Robert signed on because Robert Rodriguez specifically wanted to do a, quote, James Cameron style movie. So he got to play with those toys. He got to work with that budget. He got to, you know, he got to flex his muscles um, while still kind of doing something that is, you know, James Cameron is a great director, but he's not somebody that's super stylized to me. Mm-hmm. He's not somebody that's like, uh. that has a, a necessarily strong voice. He makes very yeah. mainstream and that's not always bad, but he makes very mainstream, accessible, palpable, international mm-hmm. box office hit movies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like Robert Rodriguez was probably even like trying to do that, slipping in his little, his little you know, mannerisms throughout, but it was, but it's like, it's, it's definitely a departure from, um, from his more personal movies, I guess. Well, but it still feels like, like him. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, thanks for, for pointing that out, Kate, that it is a really interesting collaboration. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and I think ultimately a very successful adaptation. And I've been saying too, that as soon as I saw the movie, I was telling my friends and stuff, I wasn't posting it online, but I was like, when this movie comes out and people rag on it, they don't know that they're going to really be ragging on the manga itself. Because if exactly. they, you know, because yeah. I'm like, if you've got problems with the movie and like we're talking about, there's valid criticisms of the story and of the movie. You can kind of point those criticisms to the manga itself and go, mm-hmm. yeah, uh-huh. this part of the story's dumb. This doesn't make sense. This isn't fleshed out. This uh-huh. is rushed over. You're totally right. It's coming from the comic. And from that one writer artist who's cranking everything out in this incredible frenetic style, isn't giving that kind of thing, you know, that sort of thought. And then you get yeah. to the so so if the criticism is well, if it got to the movie level in the adaptation, those sort of things should have been updated, changed, reworked, remixed, whatever to make better. In my personal opinion, I feel like if they had done too much of that, if they had done any more of that, it really would have gotten away from what makes Alita cool. So to me, they, they did a good balance of remixing stuff while also yeah. leaving stuff intact because because the more that they would try to like make things make sense, I guess, quote unquote, yeah. for, for, for a Western audience, like you're going to lose the fun of, yeah. of what makes that – what made it an enduring classic yeah. comic that people love for decades. So, Which to that point, it's just like Dragon Ball Evolution is the perfect example of when people try to make things – makes sense too yep. much i'm like you made yep. goku in high school a teenager and chi chi's in high school with him yep and they're having a fantasy about her eating the strawberry i'm like what does any of this have to do with dragon ball <laughs> Sorry, but that's right. like a perfect example of them trying to make it more westernized and modernized and it got to the point where it's like goku's the reincarnation of an ape god i'm like you could have just said he was an alien because we have superman yeah, yep. basically the same. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not that hard. Yeah, and and I think like to that point too, and I think we've seen it most recently with the Death Note adaptation. Oh, like God. that was something that rewrote the entire first character. Yeah. Could not make that character as unlikable as Light is in <sighs> the anime, and completely made things. Pal- I mean, 
palpable in a sense. It really wasn't, but they made it for a Western audience and ended up removing a lot of these things because they're there's one of the things that I saw a lot of was the trope of like the older man with the younger with, with, with the adolescent, right? Like people are like, Oh, well that's weird. And I was like, yeah. But the thing is, is one, I think Rodriguez did a really, really good job in shooting it in a style that showed them as a father daughter. Yeah. But then two, this is a trope that is in so much of anime. Like this is something that is there. Like there are large anime tropes that are sweeping um, like the, um, also like the born sexy yesterday trope, like the, you know, that's something that is also there, but I, what I also think what people don't understand and I'm hope, I, I really hope this movie gets a sequel y'all like oh, I need it too. what happens Same. is she starts off in this place that is very much tropey and very much, um, very adolescent and kind of cringy sometimes because those are some of the bad parts of the anime. Like mm. Hugo is not the right match for her in the Obviously. anime or the movie. Um, yeah, I, I have words or, about Hugo. <laughs> yeah, uh, or the manga. But the thing is, is that's who she needed at that point in her development as a character. Mm. And what people mm-hmm. don't realize is there's nine volumes of a manga and nine volumes of a story to go through that you're not going to get that entire nine volume character development in one movie. And yeah. I don't think people understand that. And they're very quick to judge this one movie mm-hmm. on those things when this yeah, movie the, is very much... Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say... Uh, I 100% agree. I'm seeing a lot of criticism about the last scene in the film, mm-hmm. the the scene where she wins the motorball, points the or she's about to points her sword up at the um the the city Zalem. and Zalem. And we see Edward Norton. And audiences takeaway on that is like, oh, they're saving the big bad guy for the next movie. What a ripoff! They should have put all their eggs in this basket. I don't like it when movies do this. Blah blah yeah. blah. Yeah, every movie I've, does this. Sorry. Yes, to an extent. Every movie does this, especially like you're saying, a, a movie that is adapted from a long-running series, whether it's a comic book, a cartoon, whatever. And I think that having seen the movie twice, and I'm sure that it'll hold up on a third screening, that uh, Alita herself goes through an immense mm-hmm. character arc by the end mm-hmm. of the film. And she's in a completely different place than she was in the beginning, like you were mentioning, Kate. And I think that it's um, it's really, really satisfying. I think that she deals with the main bad guy in the film who's played by Mara Hashala Ali and and like that's dealt with, including the Garishna character, Garishka character. Garishka, that's yeah. dealt with as well. So really the things that are left on the table are it's the same as as watching an Iron Man film and then Nick Fury shows up at the end and goes, You're part of a bigger universe. Like Yes, he kills exactly. Iron Monger, but you still, you know, even that movie ends with "I am Iron Man," and everybody lost their shit mm-hmm. and they loved it and they loved it exactly. And I feel like Alita is basically doing the same thing. She's like, "I am Battle Angel," and I'll see you in the next movie if we happen to get the opportunity to to make it. I don't. I think that it's smart, and I don't think it's unsatisfying. I think that people are only feeling that way because it's the last scene in the film. They're walking mm-hmm. out of the theater and that's their last impression. And they're sort of hung up on that last shot of Edwin Norton. They recognize him. They know that he's a big actor and they feel that. And the same with Jai Courtney being one of the motorball racers earlier in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of these actors were asked and convinced to do the movie in a small part with the, with the knowledge of if we get a sequel, you'll play a bigger role later, which yeah. again, Sam Jackson's a great example of like that worked yep. 10 years ago mm-hmm. and look what it led to. Mm-hmm. But because audiences, I think a lot of audiences are, are 
they're, they're, they're just dismissing like the rest of the movie that led up to that scene by uh-huh. going, Oh, you know, there's no, it's not satisfying. And I, and again, having seen it twice, I think Al- the, the movie's about Alita. She goes uh-huh. through a huge change. She's a different character, but there's still room in the world to, to have her deal with other stuff and to yeah. have her grow as a character. And those other movies aren't going to have Hugo in it, which is fine, yeah. which like you guys were saying, you know, he's a, he's a character that's important to her early on. And, and even having read the, the comic, I feel that the movie's romance and I appreciated it more the second time. Cause the first time I watched it, I went, yeah, that didn't work. And, and I uh-huh. didn't like that ca- the cute character of Hugo. I thought he yeah. was shitty yeah. and I didn't buy that. She fell in love with him or it felt a little bit like born sexy yesterday. It felt a little bit like, Alita, that's the first boy you met. Like you, you, you can do better. <laughs> it's the prince. It's the Little Mermaid. Yes, it's the Little Mermaid. <laughs> but having seen it a second time, I noticed a little bit more of the work that they were putting into their scenes together. Where I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I can see them trying to make it so that you know that that they have a chemistry, that they care about each other, and it's and it slowly builds. Then you get to the scene where she offers him her heart. Which yeah. is so insane, but so Japanese to me. Yeah, it's very like, 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 like that sort of almost um, uh, at- Attack on Titan level of of, yeah. of drama that's so dramatic. And what I thought was so brilliant was that it comes from the comic book. It's not an mm-hmm. invention. And at the end of that scene, Alita herself goes, that's pretty intense, right? And he's like, yeah. And it's a little acknowledgement from the filmmakers of like, yeah, this is intense and kind of crazy, but we're staying true to the source material and we're and we're we're staying true to Alita and that she would do this in this moment. And I thought that they made it work. So that was a very yeah. interesting scene. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point too, this is this is probably and I don't think enough people are talking about this, right? Like this is a female-led film. Yeah, this is a Latina-led mm-hmm. film. Ro- Rosa yeah. Salazar killed this role. Unbelievable and performance! Like, Unbelievable performance! It is yeah. never not her movie. It yeah. is mm-hmm. always her movie, which is hard sometimes, especially when you have um, uh, not well-known actors, right? Especially up against yeah. somebody like. Uh, so when you run down the cast list, Christoph Waltz is directly opposite her most of the time. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali, mm-hmm. um, like. Even just visually putting her up, going toe to toe with Itza Gonzalez or mm-hmm. Ed Screen, and how their um, how their 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 character designs are in the movie, she's mm-hmm. never once overwhelmed by that, which is an amazing thing to do. And this is one of the things like. Robert Ojeda is a grindhouse filmmaker. A lot of the times, he's in he's a B movie. Like he loves B movies. He lives in that like eccentric style and I know and hyper violence and I know some people don't like that but for me one of the things that I've always appreciated is when he does center like Latinas in his movies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and when he does make sure that their power is shown and Mm -hmm. that is shown even in every everything that she is doing she is making the choice to um Mm -hmm. now i do know that like there definitely were some sanitized parts right like in the ova they're not just taking their limbs they're actually ripping spines out of bodies yeah yeah um that's that's a lot worse um in you know she doesn't have 
um, she, it, it, they humanized Hugo in that way, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to be like, oh yeah, Alita, you can totally love this dude. He only stole his leg and arm instead of being mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, they ripped the spine out, out of this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened. Um, but I think ultimately, like when you look at the movie as itself, like it did well to form Alita's story and I want to see where it goes next. And I think the fact that they had these characters come in and had her triumph over it and not having a big bad did better, in my opinion, yeah. to help me fall in love with Alita. Yeah. You know, what it reminds me of is, is again, if, uh, let me mention Iron Man again. A lot of Marvel movies and, and really every Marvel movie up to recently decided to omit focusing on the villain. Mm-hmm. And they would get criticism mm-hmm. for it where they'd be like, Marvel movies have weaker villains than 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 other, you know, superhero movies or other action movies. And they did it all on purpose because you spend that first Iron Man movie, you spend the most time with Robert Downey Jr. And the payoff mm-hmm. is that he became a beloved character worldwide for like 20 movies in 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead of focusing on Jeff Bridges, who was great as the villain, but it's like, but we don't care about it. We don't need to. Yeah. Um, it was, it, and that leads it so that – and that was the formula they followed for basically most of their movies, especially their movies that were introducing new characters that you had to care for. Yeah. Then you get to the past recent movies where they're like, okay, well, now we've got Spider-Man with the Vulture. Let's focus on him. Now we've got Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett's Hela, and she's really fun. Now we got Killmonger. Now we got Thanos, and those are like arguably the best villains of, of sort of modern action movies of the past couple years. But it's because you had to spend the time – getting to know and care about the hero characters. And I also want to mention too, like Andy Serkis is known as the king of motion capture performance, but even Andy Serkis started as Gollum and he was in an ensemble cast of a three hour long movie, you know, set in a fantastical world. Like he didn't have to hold that movie together himself at first. Then you get to, Oh, then he's King Kong again. Naomi Watts is holding that movie together and he's this amazing creature in the film. Then you get to Caesar and Planet of the Apes. And the first movie had James Franco sharing that with him. And, yep. you know, as that as that ape got smarter and the second and third films really do center around Caesar. But by then it's like, yeah, Andy Serkis has been doing it for 10 years. This is Rosa Salazar's, as far as I know, first major starring role and it's motion capture. And, yeah. you know, like you were saying, Kate, they're putting her up against this amazing cast of veteran actors and there's not a frame of this movie where it's not her Mm -hmm. film and the performance that's coming through in a character that a lot of people were were nervous about because oh the eyes they're freaking me out i don't know if the eyes are going to work but the second the movie starts like you lose all of that at least for me Mm -hmm. personally it didn't bother me in the slightest i believed her as a character she was incredibly endearing incredibly like real and um and 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 every little piece of her performance was able to shine through and it's pretty amazing like you were saying Kate it's a it's a latina in in this leading role and and she crushed it and i really really hope that she gets the recognition that she deserves because of that oh for sure and i i like totally agree with what you guys have said about her like the actress because this is my first introduction to her i've never seen any of her other work yeah. but like for my first introduction to her i think she just knocked it out of the park just because like you said i think a lot of people's first reactions when they saw the trailer and they saw her eyes everyone's freaking out like no they made it too anime <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna crash and burn i'm just like the actress does a great job of conveying so much emotion and like the just like does a great job of bringing the character to life that i don't even care about the eyes yeah. like and we're it's she's a cyborg 
Like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing that makes it like that's like there's like I think that's what makes it work is like the world the building around it. The eyes mm-hmm. aren't even that big of a deal. It's like for mm-hmm. people who have never probably had an interaction with anime or like are really like maybe turned off by sci-fi. I think those are the ones I've seen most comments about. Like, like when my mom saw the trailer, she was just like, "Why is her eyes so big?" I'm like, "She's a robot." And I, just, <laughs> I, I, I just left it at that. I'm like, "She's a robot, mom." Um, but they're just like, "But why the other robots?" I'm like, "Just don't don't worry about it." I think, but so. yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I'm done. Oh, I was gonna on. say like in in like the the funny thing to watch too is like when you see her in the trailer, you're like, oh my God, she doesn't look human. But then you see her against everybody else. You're like, oh no, Mm -hmm. Alita actually looks the most human out of everybody. (laughs) Everybody. And she has like some of like, she has like almost the largest amount of humanity out of everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's something that is just, I don't know how to like disappoint because I actually felt I, I I have loved Rosa Salazar since I saw her in Maze Runner, um, but I just loved those films in in, in general. She's in the last two, um, but I didn't know like mocap's hard. Mocap yeah. isn't easy, mm-hmm. um, and so I was a little worried. But then, like like you said, Hector, like the moment you go in, I'm just like, oh damn, yeah, this doesn't bother me. You're you're mm-hmm. killing it. The yeah. only time the CG got me was I didn't like it when she was eating the chocolate. That was mm-hmm. the only time it felt weird for me. That was, according to the producers, the most difficult thing that they had to figure out in the movie. Mm-hmm. That, that was makes the, sense. That sequence, that little scene lit was apparently the thing that they had the most difficulty with. Not the flipping around in 3D and wow. shoving her eye into another android. It was her eating chocolate that uh, that maybe they spent the most time on. I don't know. But they said it was like <laughs> the biggest challenge, which I think is really hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy because they, they pull off some crazy stuff in this movie. Yeah. 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 So for me, some of the criticisms uh, that um, so like just the fact that she's a CG character, I was asking myself while watching the movie, is there a version of this movie that could exist where Rosa just played the character in live action? And I think that there is, but it still would have needed CG touch ups mm-hmm. here and there. It mm-hmm. still would have needed like when she gets the upgrade body and she does that amazing little balance move. I'm like, yes. that would have been all CG anyway. Yeah. And it really does fit with like you guys are saying the rest of the world that they're establishing. The fact that she is it like a, a cyborg body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that, yeah, there's a version that could have, that could have done without it, but I think that story-wise it absolutely makes a lot, a lot of sense. I would have liked to have seen, but again, we'll probably hopefully get it in the sequel just more explanation for the character that uh, Michelle Rodriguez played in the movie, her mentor yes. in the flashbacks yeah. and how yeah. that whole squad was like all cloned cyborgs or whatever. Like just that, just a little bit more of her origins um, yeah. to, to, I guess to maybe justify why it has to be a motion capture character versus yeah. like an actor. But again, it's, it's really not important to this story in this movie and we'll probably uh, play a factor later on down the line. But I want to talk about the, 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 the upgrade of her body. I know yeah. that on the press junket, Rosa was saying that she thinks it's amazing that a big budget sci-fi movie like this, number one, is starring a female character. Number two, uh, played by a Latina. So mm-hmm. uh, like effectively, you know, coded as like a Latina character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's also about a young woman figuring out her place in the world, figuring out her sexuality her her body her biology her romance all of that Mm -hmm. stuff like this adolescence that that stories like this don't usually tackle and i appreciated the metaphor in the movie 
when she gets the new body and her self-perception is different than Christoph Waltz's idea of of kind of his surrogate daughter. And uh-huh. I also love the line where he heartbreakingly tells her the story. The first line that she says back to him is, I'm not your daughter, yep. which I was like, that's pretty daring. It's that it's yeah. not a line from this female character. Normally the female characters are sort of there to appease the male's emotions. Yeah. And she says it in not a mean way, but in a sweet way. Like in a nice way, but in in like a in like a loving way, in a way that that says, "Hey, I care about you, but you got to know, I'm not your daughter." Mm-hmm. It, it, it establishes her own identity, establishes her yeah. agency, what she wants out of her own life. So I really like that scene. But then when she gets the body, she asks for it, and he says no because it's a killing machine. He's not going to do it, and she gets the most mad she's been in the movie up to that point, and yep. she mm-hmm. slams on the desk like Sunny the robot and I robot when mm-hmm. he goes, "I did Hell, not murder yeah. him." Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. Cool. But 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 later when she gets her new body and Ido's assistant says she, she says something like turns out maybe she was older than we thought she was or she was older than you thought she was something like that. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was I really appreciated that that was in the film. However, yeah. I think that the the criticisms from a lot of people and especially a lot of women that I'm seeing on the internet where they're like they're just tired of the trope of male storytellers sort of tackling this yeah. in movies like this. And I get that. And and I talked about this part of the film with my girlfriend and we both agreed, like we would have loved a, not that Robert and James Cameron and their collaboration wasn't great, but specifically for this aspect of the story, if a female producer, screenwriter, somebody had sort of maybe put more of their mark on that. I know that, that uh-huh. there was a, 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 a female screenwriter involved with James Cameron's yeah. like version of the script. And, yeah. and it would have been nice to maybe see some more of that in the, in the press sort of leading up to the movie again, not to take away from Robert Rodriguez, but I'll give you a good example. I'm seeing press for Captain Marvel coming out and uh-huh. it's a directing team of a man and a woman. And a most recent little quick snippet showed the female director uh, yeah. talking about the story, which I'm like, I think that's smart. I don't think yeah. that's a bad thing. I don't think it's erasing the guy's contribution either because people that are going to know about this movie are going to know who did it. Yeah. You know, people yeah. who know about Guardians of the Galaxy, I know that Nicole, Nicole Perlman wrote the screenplay before James Gunn came in and did his thing. I don't know how much of Nicole Perlman's screenplay was left in that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but I know that they both they're both credited as writers, but I think that for like the general movie going audience and especially for a lot of the female audience that doesn't know anything about Alita or James Cameron or the, you know, the producing story of this film, I think that it would have been cool to maybe showcase like, Hey, we did have a female screenwriter on this. This is what she, you know, this is, this is how she feels about the project and we put Mm -hmm. it into a commercial. So maybe go check it out. I think that that would have been cool too. I think that would have been really smart because I think like what I saw initially before it came out and before I saw it um, was just people saying, stop letting James Cameron white write women. And I'm just like, sure. I, I understand that. Sure. I have my problems with James Cameron, but I'm also like for me and like, obviously, like I don't speak for all women, obviously, um, and I don't speak for all Latinas, obviously, but when it comes down to it, I guess I've, I guess I've consumed so much anime that is usually like this genre of anime is, is heavily, heavily written by dudes, right? heavily written by dudes. And so for me, I didn't think about it. Right. It doesn't invalidate people who did think about it, but for me, 
I didn't think about it because in, in my head, I want to see a female character be able to go through stuff and just start kicking ass and having like, Mm -hmm. and like getting revenge and, and Mm -hmm. whooping it like the same way that I get to see Jason Statham go do that in his action movies. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Jason Statham goes through some shit before, before he starts taking out the people, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, and like I fall in this weird place where I'm like, I get what I get, I get what you're saying, Hector, and I and I agree entirely. And I agree with people saying, hey, you know, we should have women write, you know, a woman, you know, should have written this or something mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, I'm also like, I I want there to be a plethora of women on screen where you can have somebody like Alita who is high action, little story, the sure. same way that you can have somebody that is high story, little action. Exactly. And for me, that is what I was, I was so happy getting that in the movie. And that's one of the reasons why like I was, I, I mean, and I kind of I, like, I loved uh, the addition of Aita Gonzalez's character. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, she's a sexy cyborg who is like fighting and stuff. Now Alita just, dumps on her and yeah it's not even a contest but it's also just really cool because like i mean i don't know if people notice this a lot but it's something i notice like usually there's maybe one latino in a film if there is like when it comes to latinx representation i've said it on here before i've said Mm -hmm. it on twitter before there we only get about between three and five percent of all of all talking media Mm -hmm. um that's for representation in like the general population that's extremely low this movie has multiple latinx characters in it Mm -hmm. or like or latinx coded characters right because we Mm -hmm. don't know what their what their backgrounds are that's just really cool to me and it was something that like when i when robert rodriguez took it over i was like we're gonna get some of that um which is really it falls into that category of that of that really tricky balance that a lot of fans of of media like this have to put up with have to have to contend with and have to deal with which is on the one hand i just want a black Latino Spider-Man to just be Spider-Man. Like, I just want Miles Morales to just be Spider-Man. I don't want his story to be about, you know, what it is to be black and Latino every single time because it feels like when there are stories like that, that like you're saying, Kate, we, we don't necessarily get to play in the same realm that other movies get to play in, where it's, where it's just high action and maybe low story. On the other hand, if they're going to go to the trouble of, of making a character like Miles Morales half black and half Puerto Rican, then you want that authenticity. You want the authentic, mm-hmm. you want the authentic Puerto Rican moment experience. You want the authentic what it means to be a young black male growing up in New York and Queens experience. So it's a really, really tricky balance. You just, I just want black people to be able to ride dragons into, you know, combat in a fantasy movie. But at the same time, I don't want there to be an omission of, of, a, of a, of an authentic experience, you know, yeah. at the ex- expense of that. I don't want other people yeah. to tell those stories because oftentimes they will be, irresponsibly told and that won't be a factor so again mm-hmm. it's a super tricky balance i liked that there was a metaphor for young girl adolescence in the movie mm-hmm. uh i would have liked more of that i would have liked you know somebody else to take a pass on that just kind of just yeah. i would have liked some more of that but at the same yeah. time like you're saying kate alita is this latin latina coded character who is ultimately a younger female kick ass and she kicks major ass 
character, mm-hmm. sci-fi character that should be able to 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 be said in the same breath as the Terminator or mm-hmm. Jake Sully mm-hmm. from Avatar or like you're saying John Wick or yeah, you know yeah. Iron Man or Spider-Man. Like Alita should be able to she's you know people might disagree with this but I think you can also define this movie as a superhero movie itself. It has oh, yeah. it, it has things in there that, that you can point to and go yeah that's technically a superhero film. So she should be considered that. And unfortunately, because there just is so little of a character in this kind of a role across the board, I get it when a, a female character like this has to be everything for everybody. And that's yeah. impossible. Yeah. You know, I don't want Latin, I don't want every Latin character to be everything for every Latin audience. I don't want every black character to be every, you know, type of experience of a black person, you know, for every black audience member like that's mm-hmm. that's way it's too impossible. much and it's, it's a impossible. burden of representation it's, it's like burden, we, yeah it, it's and a burden of representation like we have to be everything for everyone i know nisha uh, you've talked about this a lot on the, yeah on your twitter and on the pod and well yeah and i just like because like anytime i've like made a tweet like i think i did it was a while ago i did that tweet where i was just like what a time to be alive because we were getting so much representation like all at once, like Black Panther, Star Trek, and like all these different, like all these things mm-hmm. that have all like came out already. And everyone literally kept on tagging me, don't forget this and don't forget that. I'm like, I can only put four pictures in a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, for right. the love of, like for the love of God, I can only put four pictures in a tweet. This was not meant to be a thread. But then yeah. I did go through the trouble of trying to like show other representation. But then I realized like doing all that, like what the, what the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. I can't cater to you people because no matter how many people I would talk about that I was excited about, everyone would just keep on crapping on me. Like you forgot Stormy, uh, Reed, Stormy Reed, um, mm-hmm. the, the girl from like um, A Wrinkle in Time. time. Yeah. Uh, you forgot about this. You forgot about that. I'm just like, I was just really excited about Black Panther and Star Trek, and now I'm drained. But it's like yeah. it's so impossible, and I don't think. And I think that's just that's that's just Twitter. It's not the space to sometimes yeah. have those conversations and tackle. And you can't please everybody. But you make a great point. We can't all the all these diverse characters can't be everything to everyone, and they shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Like I kind of would have liked to see Alita have an interaction with Lana Condor's character because I don't think her name once and I think that would have been really cool to see as like these two young women having a conversation granted it it probably wouldn't have passed was the Bechdel test are we grave at like the Clarkisha Kent test of like Mm -hmm. the conversation probably would have talked about Hugo Hugo but I still would have appreciated because like that's the the girl that to the age that Alita is coded at the time like, I think that would have been really cool to have that interaction. Like, she's mm-hmm. bonding and she has a friend. Because, like, she doesn't give her a little wave when she has, like, hires yeah. everybody. And you, mm-hmm. you get the sense that they've bonded and we just haven't seen that. But it's that would have been nice. Or, yeah, it would have yeah, been that's nice. that's fair, yeah. No, I, yeah. that's that's, re- that's really good. Cause... character, um, sorry, not to interrupt, but, like, one more thing. Like, Lana Condor's character is the one that's kind of, like, sticking up for Alita. Is like, what do you have against her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that was something, too, like, they could have evened out the time between Jorge's character. Um, so Jorge plays Tanji. Mm-hmm. Um, you may know um, Jorge Ledenborg from uh, the Bumpy movie. Um, he plays mm-hmm. Tanji. He gets a lot of a lot of speak time with Hugo, but he's, like, the main antagonist between their group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that because I got excited when I saw Lena Condor, but, like, she had, like, one line. Yep. Yeah. I did too. I was just the, like, ah, so happy. But, the Jubilee curse all over again. It's the yeah. Jubilee curse. <laughs> but I will say this. I just want um, so much for her. I want so much. 
And this is something that we can kind of pull in too, is like coming off of this of this talk about representation. If you watch the OVA, the OVA is pretty damn white. Like yeah. like between Ito and Shirin and you know all the main characters, they're all coded very European. Mm-hmm. Um now with the casting, this is a really diverse cast when you actually look at who mm-hmm. who's who's there. Like there's a lot more color here, mm-hmm. um, which is something that you don't see a one, you don't see a lot of in anime. Um, and two, you don't see a lot of in a movie of this budget. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's something that definitely needs to be called out. But that also leads into the other the other topic that some people have been talking about is whitewashing, yeah. um, which in in Nisha, like if you want if you want to lead this, like we've talked about whitewashing on the cast before because we've yeah you know, <laughs> kind of grow. And <laughs> I think because it's funny that we talked um, after you mentioned um, Cabo Bebop. Because yeah. like that's something where this kind of comes into tie-in, and then like from the other movies we've we've recently watched, where we watched Full Metal Alchemist, we've come to the conclusion of what the characters are coded as, and then the and how are they casted, right? Yeah. And like and the live action kind of play a role because um when we were watching Full Metal Alchemist, we were kind of, like the big thing discussion me and Kate had was just like should the characters have been Japanese or should they have been German? But then it's like the whole then you get into like a whole other like spiral. But these characters are like they're they come from like a fictional land anyways. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's mirroring the story of the Holocaust and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's a fictional land. So they could be it, like they're but they're coded european mm-hmm. and then and so like we i think we found ourselves like in a rabbit hole of like yeah because you have like, the creator say exactly and the creator was like yeah i made this like this is to reflect a lot of world war ii and i made these yeah. to be european because it's a part of my story mm-hmm. because they're supposed to be reflecting nazi germany Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you eliminate that, he it, in his mind, this is, this is what the creator said. The creator mm-hmm. was very unhappy with the fact that it wasn't casted that way. Yeah. Um, and that we, makes sense after we like found that out. It was just like, you exactly. know what? I get that because had this been, um, you know, if an American studio did it, I think I would encourage them to cast. I think Roy Mustang still to me, like, is coded Asian. Yeah. he's Asian. Like, he's coded to me as Asian. But like the other characters, totally would make sense to have them be you know european or mm-hmm. caucasian and then like and to tell that same story because i'm sorry this is not a full metal alchemist movie review i'm not going down this rabbit hole again we <laughs> did that before you guys can go listen to it but like that, that kind of like took away a little bit of the story because they kind of washed over like the whole genocide of the Ishbalans. Mm-hmm. like they just like kind of they really went over all that and i think that's like super important because the Ishbalans are pe- are like the people of color in that world yeah. Um, like they're a minority that was like, sorry, again, I'm doing it. Sorry. But to my no. point, when I'm referencing, yeah. <laughs> um, you encourage my terrible rabbit hole behavior. It's a good um, rabbit hole. It sets up the conversation. Cause this is yeah. not, this is not just a black and white conversation. True. No pun yeah. intended. Like, this is- <laughs> oh <my God>. Yeah. <laughs> but to the point about like with Ido's care, Ido, Ido, is it Ido? Ido. Ido. Um, I think a lot of people are like, well, he should have been Asian, but then that, because of his name. Yeah, now, his original name was Daisuke Ito. Yeah. 
But oh, then I see. it's like, and then I think this is where it's weird, and we have to remember like the the world, like the world building of like it's a fictional world now. Nationalities probably don't pay that like huge or I'm not saying ethnicity, not ethnicity, but like nationality of like um where where they're from because now they have like a fictional nationality of they've all been shoved into one place like right the boundaries that we exist in don't exist there yeah and what are what's 300 years ago mean like three because like from what we have in the timeline it's like 300 years ago was a a leader yeah because i think this is 2563 25 2500 exactly so i'm like y'all like the world has evolved and grown and like what we're what we're told is that people from all over the world came here because it's the last floating city Mm -hmm. um from the ova we we know that like ito and shirin they came from zalem so like, we don't even know like what the makeup of Zalem is like. I mean, like I'm interested to see what that's gonna be like because I'm imagining like something from Hunger Games where people yeah. are just like super elitist and like they're just watching yeah. the poor people and below. Which, which but- I mean, no, I think I'm, you're completely right, and that's why they have that mark of Zalem, which I've mm-hmm. seen a couple of people say that it's 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 replicating Bindi's and it's worn by Jennifer Con- Connelly's character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who is white, but in in the. But OVA, it's yeah, in the OVA and the manga, mm-hmm. that is the mark of Zalem. And even um, uh, Ido has that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and both those characters are quoted white in mm-hmm. in the OVA and the mm-hmm. manga. So it's one of those things is like, if we want to open this conversation up to saying, hey, I think we talked about this a little in our initial D episode. Like, you need to look at this from the lens of where this was created. Yeah. What is the cultural lens that you're looking at this through? Because right now, the American lens isn't necessarily doing this justice in the facts that this movie actually adapts a lot of this casting fairly closely to what it physically resembles in the manga, mm-hmm. uh, in the manga and the OVA. Um, so, I mean, Jennifer Connelly's not blonde, but. <laughs> yeah. The, right. In the grand scheme of things. But, like, because yeah. um, it's easy for them to. I'm like forgetting Mahershala Ali's character's name. Uh, oh, I'm trying to remember yeah. what it was, Vector. too. Vector. Vector. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, like, it's super easy to look at a character like Vector and be like, cool, black character. Yes, black man, get him to play that person. But then yeah. it's like, when you run into a. And Vector is like a name. Yeah, like that that doesn't have any connection to any kind of culture. Mm-hmm. So we're of course going to be like, we will let it rock. Yes, that is fine. Whereas it's like, I think the issue with like Christoph Waltz that a lot of people had is that, you know, they're like they're looking at the name of the character and sure. where it originated from. Like, where is it? Like, they call, but like in all like not, I'm not gonna say all anime, but like in a lot of like anime and manga, of course they're gonna write their culture into their work. Like that is like yeah. that's a huge part of anime and manga, and that's and that's something like I really love about it. But in this situation, it's like, do you go with the name of the character and where that name's connection is like, like and the heritage is connected to, mm-hmm. or do you go with the appearance of the character mm-hmm. and like the, like where, like the, what the story, the world building. And I think, I think they made the right decision to cast Christoph Waltz. That's not to say they couldn't have casted a Japanese right. actor, but right. I'm just saying like, if we're going off of like, you know, people will always, no one's ever going to be happy. Yes. But it's always going to be down to like, oh, he doesn't look like the character or, oh, he doesn't like, oh, or like you could have done this or you could have done that. And I'm just like, I think it, when it comes down to it, I think that I think they've made the right choice. I'm not saying 
Yeah, I, it was the only choice they had. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that it, it depends on each project, obviously. Mm-hmm. Something like Ghost in the Shell has characters yep. and story elements that are inherently Japanese yeah. and can't be separated from that. Yep. And when they do, then then that's whitewashing. Then you go into the then you go into that place. With exactly. Alita, I was doing press and I was asking John Landau, that same mm-hmm. producer, uh, without mentioning Ghost in the Shell or Dragon Ball Evolution or any of the live action sort of big theatrical international adaptation movies that have been released up to this point, I said do you think Alita has the potential to, as a manga adaptation, break through? And why Alita? And he kind of said in a very smart, proceed like producer way, mm-hmm. he said it's because this is already a very international story. It's not something that is inherently, yeah. you know, it has Japanese origins. And our and our the creative storyteller, the writer and artist who did the manga is obviously from Japan, and that's in there. But he said, you know, I read the book, and he, they go to the Kansas bar. That's named Kansas, like the state in the United States. And uh-huh. I asked him, why did you name it Kansas? And he said, I like the band. And that's why he decided to name it Kansas. But that already says a lot about the world. And I think that it's a it's a very easy way to connect that idea to the idea that they present early in the film where Christoph Waltz says, we all came here and huddled under this floating city and everybody from different – because even um, – Alita asks, why is there different languages yeah. or why is there different mm-hmm. whatever it was? Because a driver goes by and he goes, pinche cabron, and he says yep. that in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was Robert who slipped that in there. Uh, but then Christoph explains the world. And I don't think that – I think that people that that would be upset that Ido as a character isn't played by an Asian actor, I think they're kind of dismissing the rest of the the variety that's in the film and uh-huh. the rest of the cast. And I think it's I think it's really well done. And I think that – even it kind of gives me hope too because in my brain when i grew up watching dragon ball z in spanish on mexican television before it aired in the u.s Mm. i always saw goku which is the most japanese name ever as a mexican (laughs) guy i saw him as a mexican guy i saw him with Mm. i saw this mexican guy with clumps of dirt in his hair which made his hair stand up (laughs) <laughs> this really messy little bedhead, you know, kid that was getting into trouble. And then he grew up into a guy who had a five-year-old and he was like, what, 24 or whatever. Like, he, you know, and he had a wife and, and even the, his wife's name was Chi-Chi. And I'm like, that means something in Spanish. So, so for me, that, though, that kind of world, which is, there are things about it that are Japanese, but I think that there are things about it that are more international than they mm-hmm. are Japanese, yeah. um, and, I, and that's not and that's not the same for every single manga or anime, obviously. And you really have to take it on a case by case basis. Yeah. But yeah. but I liked I like the the international approach of um of Alita, yeah. mm-hmm. which is something that like Nisha and I have been exploring as like we go through this because I think we both came in with like stop whitewashing stuff, and then as we started taking stuff in mm-hmm. by a case because each movie is different, we realized yeah. oh shit, we just started to like talk more and more about these things because like each thing each source is different and it should be respected in knowing mm-hmm. that like hey this piece of art is not coming from our worldview hey this right. piece of art also yeah. should not be generalized the same way you wouldn't want ge- and anything like any generalizations here mm-hmm. um and, and i think it's also important too is to not take the word of the sole creator as gospel either yeah. sometimes yeah. I think it's important when when there were people that had no problem 
and I think we all know what kind of people I'm talking about, who had no problem with Scarlett Johansson playing Ghost in the Shell when yeah. there were vocal critics of that. Then then came the side where it's like, hey, this shouldn't be a problem. And they yeah. used the fact that people in Japan were asked about it. And yeah. people in Japan were like, oh, no, yeah. that's cool. She's a good actor. I'm a fan of that. So they would use that as, as, as ammunition for yeah. why anybody talking about this problem in the United States – should shut up. And I yeah. feel that that then you still have to take into account, well, why were those Japanese people asked that? How? Why did they answer that? Did they understand yeah. about mm-hmm. the cultural context? And those same people that were quizzed in this thing, once they were explained to them, well, hey, Asian actors don't get as many roles in Hollywood, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, in the United States, and this is a big problem. Then they, of course, conceded, oh, well, then, yeah, it should be an Asian actor that plays that role. Yeah. So it's I mean, still it's still important to like to, – to, and I'll give you another great example. One of my favorite examples of this, uh, George Takei, who played Sulu in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In the most recent Star Trek film, John Cho plays Sulu in the, in the three most recent movies, and they revealed that the character was gay and had a husband and a kid. Mm-hmm. And George and, and they did it for a bunch of different reasons, but one of the reasons was to sort of pay tribute to George Takei's, yeah. um, you know, his public life and what he has done as an advocate for for gay rights and everything mm-hmm. like that, and that he is an out and gay actor. And he was the one who came out and said, "I disagree with that. I want Sulu to to remain a straight character because I was playing a heterosexual character." And gay actors should be able to play straight characters. And I totally, totally understood what George Takei was saying with that. However, I strongly disagreed along Mm -hmm. with the screenwriter of the movie um, uh, who plays Scotty, Simon Pegg, in that they felt that it was ultimately more important to show that the world of Star Trek, which already has a long history of being very diverse, Mm -hmm. actually have an openly gay character – which like hadn't happened yet yeah. in t- 2016, at, you know, 50 years into this franchise. And they retroactively let the audience know that one of their first characters, a character who premiered yeah. in 1966, along with Kirk and Spock and Scotty and, 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 and McCoy and everybody else and Uhura and everybody else was gay from the beginning. That retroactive continuity uh, allows you know fans in the modern day to go back and watch the episodes from the 60s and for there to be another element of there is diversity on this ship and diversity is important to important to star trek mm-hmm. i happen to think that that was wonderful i agreed wholeheartedly and i also thought that it was a wonderful tribute to the life and work of george takei but i understand his point of view so it's like you have to take into account the cultural you know, the context of it. You can't just take what the, because, you know, original creators will still be problematic. Sometimes they still won't have every angle or all the information or whatever. So, so I'm sure that a lot of, cause I, I, I I hope that more anime and more manga is going to be adapted by American movie studios with big budgets and everything. I hope. Um, and I'm sure that the more that this happens, the more casting decisions will be made and the more people are going to go look up the original writer or artist or creator mm-hmm. of some manga and they'll be like, no, it's fine. I, I like, you know, I like Tom Holland, whatever. It's fine. And it's like, no, you can't listen to this guy because he doesn't mm-hmm. have the con. Like, he, of course, he has no problem with Tom Holland playing his lead character from some anime. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. But, you know, the cultural, the, the history of, well, here's why it's a problem. And now we have to explain it to, to mm-hmm. more audiences so that they get that 
it's a problem and that they demand better of their media and blah, 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 blah. And it's going to be exhausting. But I, like, I'm glad that they stuck to their guns with Sulu. I thought it was a wonderful little scene. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's I feel that context. it's all about yeah. context. Thank you. It is. Because, like, you make a... Oh, sorry, Kate. Go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, because you make a great point. Like, because I did kind of like that high pitch. yeah, when you said, like, you hope that more American studios with big budgets adapt anime and manga. And I, I do want that. Mm-hmm. But I do want, like, like, I, like you said, I, I want them to definitely pay attention to context. Yeah. And I say that knowing that we now know that, like, My Hero Academia... Don't at me, y'all, if I, because I didn't say Boku no Hero. Boku no Hero. Tired. <laughs> <sighs> it's like literally a thing. Um, but anyways, I just like, I think, because I think we found out that American Studio bought the rights to it for adaptation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what that's going to look like, but immediately everyone's like, The Rock is going to play all my, and I was just like, <laughs> I just, I, and like, I just like kept on like thinking and imagining like, I, I, I don't know. And we do this show now. So like, I'm mm-hmm. going to watch it. And I love My Hero Academia, but at the same time, I'm just like, I do hope they respect the context. But also, more importantly, I would love for it to be an Asian-led cast with a huge budget behind sure. it. Because sure. like, there's so many characters. There's so many characters. I, I yeah. think that in a case like that, and even with something like, again, my little fan dream cast is that they tackle Dragon Ball Z again. They do it right. And in my head, it's it, it, just because, again, this is this is my own personal life experience. I grew up with Goku speaking Spanish. I would love mm-hmm. a Latino actor playing a Saiyan. And there's and no you reason to do that because he's an alien. Exactly. Exactly. If, if, if Superman Kal-El can look like a white guy from Kansas, mm-hmm. then the sky's the limit, whatever. But but that doesn't mean that there's no excuse like there is no excuse for not having an immensely yeah. diverse cast. And for My Hero Academia, you could have an Asian – you could make a movie star out of a young Asian yep. talent while still yep. packing that cast with um, with a bunch of great known actors. Yeah. So they yep. should take that opportunity and it's also important to, to, to you know, put Asian actors um, on those kinds of um, – in those kinds of roles because it's another great way to – pay tribute to the country that originated yeah. the stories. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, it's like yeah. it, it, it all comes down to like this massive respect for the material that you're adapting. Right. Like right. Mm-hmm. It, even like the director of death note was like, I never watched the anime. I just wanted to adapt it. Like that's a problem. Yeah. Like you have to respect what you're adapting because mm-hmm. there is already a fan base that is expecting something on top of that too. Like, I think that there definitely are nuances that can get made because it is like, it's adapted for an American audience. Cause it's not a mm-hmm. Japanese movie coming out of Japan because those mm-hmm. exist. Um, but at the same time that also like, like y'all are saying, like that means we have to, like they have to be aware that like if you're going to take something that is clearly written as Japanese, mm-hmm. you should probably cast a Japanese yeah. actor or like um, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit beach, bleach because Chad in in the bleach anime yeah. manga is Latino, but he's not played by a Latino in in the in the the bleach film because um, mm-hmm. it, it's an all Asian cast um, mm-hmm. so like those things happen there too like it's just it, read the damn room and also like you said like sometimes just listen to what Asian American voices are saying about these casting choices right. because this is this is affecting them in a different way than it's affecting us right um, yeah is- I liked when um, when talking about Ed Scrine he stepped down from the role in Hellboy 
Yep. And it went to Daniel Day Kim because he didn't know that the role in that Hellboy universe was made for an Asian character originally. So, and that was great. And that was because people spoke up. He stepped down. Everyone was like, dude, you're awesome. We're going to support your next project. And I'm going to go see Hellboy because they got Daniel Day Kim in it. And I'm like, you guys did the right thing. And you could have, they could have just not done that. Yeah. (laughs) They could have ignored everyone. Speaking Um, speaking of him too, like somebody asked me, were you not offended by the Mayan calendar on the back of Zapan? And I was like, no, I wasn't because it's Robert Rodriguez. Like he's going to put that in everything. He had to find a way to work it in. He put it on the back of Zapan. And it looked Um, so cool. (laughs) So good. I was like, that's you, Robert. That's you. Um, There's also a lot of Spanish in the background too. Like not only just like when the guy, when the cabbie calls it out, um, Mm -hmm. but when they're they're in the motorball, Mm-hmm. arena there are um signs in spanish um and then uh i don't know if anybody else noticed but like all the martians are pretty much brown um mm. Mm. which is also really cool uh, which for me were like really like really neat little things mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think we can keep talking about this all day but like do you want to call out some of our favorite parts of the movie i'm down i'm down with that if you guys are favorite parts like the few like yeah Oh, wait, Nisha, you cut out a little bit. You're coming in really low. Oh, my bad. Can you hear me now? And still really, really low. Better? No. I don't know what's going on. Did did you move your mic at all? No. Plug unplug it and plug it back in. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like she ran out of the room and is talking to us from, from the other room. Exactly. Okay. How's it now? No, you still sound far away. What is going on? Sorry, I'm like touching them. Did you adjust like the volume on it or something? No, not at all. I didn't touch it at all. Okay, there we go. (laughs) You're back. Uh, But yeah, so why don't we each pull out like a favorite part from the movie? My favorite part of the movie was, um, and and this this is something that I actually would have liked a little bit more from the manga where she goes to the bar, the Kansas bar to recruit all of the bounty hunters. And she talks about how, um, Garishka is such a menace. Well, in the comic book, uh, Garishka attacks like a few different times and attacks innocent people in the, in the city a few different times. So he is more of a menace as opposed to in the film, she fights those two cyborgs in the alley, kills them both. Garishka claims he's going to go back and kill everybody and then escapes into the sewer. And for like a long time in the film, like, I don't know, 30 minutes or something, Alita kind of is having a freak out. And it just seems like he's not that much of a threat, even though we learn he goes back to the bad guy and he's going to get upgraded, but he's just not present. And then he shows up at the bar. But right before uh, or right when he shows up, Alita says, I will not I do not stand by in the presence of evil. And that moment just like I love that moment. And it is. It gives me chills. It's so good. And for me, it kind of like sums up the movie. It's this like young woman who's being completely underestimated by Uh by everybody in her life. And these dudes are messing with her. And then she kicks the shit out of everybody. And then Garishka shows up and kills this dog. And she's like, I do Uh not stand by in the presence of evil. And even then before that, a little bit before that, she tells you, I'm going to need you to stand way back. And it's super cute and funny. It's so good. So that's my favorite moment of the movie really summed it up for me and um and i liked other moments similar to that 
but that like summed it up for me. I will say this on the dog thing. I was just one. So I watched it in the, in, in the OVA it happens and it's, it, it's also devastating because it's a really cute mm. dog, but like mm. watching it happen in the movie, I was like, no, I can't do yeah. this. And my husband, like we were walking out and he was just like, but that dog was the most courageous out of everybody. I was like, stop. I don't, don't bring it up. I don't want to hear about <laughs> it. I don't want to hear about this right now. That didn't happen. It, it led to a very uh, really smart movie making technique where we meet the um, uh, God, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he he played Frank Lapidus in Lost, and he was like the dog yeah. bounty hunter with the robot I dogs. Love that guy. Oh yeah, he's great. He's great. So like we see two seconds of him, and we, everybody kind of chuckles because he has robot dogs, and then the little dog goes over and hangs out with the robot dogs, and we're like, mm-hmm. ha ha ha, that's funny. Then the scene finally ends down in the sewer when Alita gets cut into pieces. And Aww. she's barely alive, and she gets saved by Ito, Hugo, and then that same dog bounty hunter that come down and like chase off Garishka, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, like the moment happens where the dog guy chases, you know, and then he calls his dogs back. He goes, "Hey, come on back, peel off, heal, or whatever he says." Uh-huh. And he says to Ito, "He just wasn't a dog lover." I hate people like that or something yeah. like that. And it let us all laugh because like a devastating thing had just happened to Alita. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen to her. And it was like, and it was really violent, even though it was just robot violence. Like, so we're all reeling from that. And then we all get that little laugh moment. And then the scene goes to the next scene where, you know, we're going to find out that uh, she's got a new body. So yeah, really which smart. Is, which is one of the things that like, somebody asked me, can it should, is this fit for 11 year old? And I was like, well, it's only PG-13. Then I was like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of dismemberment in this. Yeah. Movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know some people also took issue with because apparently a woman fighting can't get hurt without that being a problem. Um, I know that sounds mm. shady, but like that, that just really bugged me because she actually yeah. kicks ass when she's a torso. Like right. she still kicks, she is still kicking with ass one when hand, is- no legs, no legs, no stomach, one hand beating ass. Yeah, like that was fun. pretty awesome and that's straight from the comic and i was so excited to show my girlfriend abby that moment in the book i'm like look 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 one of the craziest moments in the movie like it's you know it's from the comic um no but that's a fair valid criticism i get it again but it's like a it's like a cliche sci-fi trope and there's there's a bunch of that stuff it's It's cyberpunk it's It's cyberpunk and she's a cyborg it's yeah. in the DNA of this book, but like you were saying, when she yeah. gets her upgraded killing machine body, like she's Ooh. untouchable. Nobody's ever yeah. gonna even get close. So, yeah. um, I guess I go into in the mine. My favorite one um, was I because I, I didn't think they were gonna do it. I did not think that they were gonna show her attaching Hugo's head to her body. Mm. I did not think they were going to do that because I was yeah. like, that's, that's too out there. That's too out there. But then I was like, well, you know what? Robert Rodriguez and then I saw how brutal some of the fight scenes were and I was like they might do it they might yeah. do it and then he got mm-hmm. stabbed and I was like holy crap they're gonna do it yeah they're, yeah. they're gonna do it um which it, it's my favorite part because it, it's really interesting to see happen and you get to see like the this tender moment and it was more of like a favorite part in that I didn't think it was gonna happen mm-hmm. um but it's also like one of the parts that I wish had been fleshed out more because in the manga he goes like insane like he, it, yeah. it, there's more. There's this large breaking point that happens yes. with Hugo, um, and you it. don't, and you don't get to see that here, um, which is so. It's it's both like a high point and a low, and like a low point for me because mm-hmm. that's like the only time you can, I, or the only time I really appreciated Hugo in the manga OVA, or you know, um, but that, that's probably one of my one of like my my favorite things that they did because I was like, wow, you you were really sticking to things here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah nisha um so yeah for me i definitely like the motorball uh, uh like so good like just so much action going on but i didn't feel like i was lost like yeah i don't, I don't know how to describe it. it's like you know i'm trying to think of like a movie where like there's so much going on and i like i couldn't keep my eyes everywhere at once speed racer I, <laughs> no <laughs> kate yeah okay fine i guess that is a good example it's a good example it's a good example because there was a lot going on in speed racer when we were watching it i'm just like i'm having a hard time with my eyes keeping up with the cars and all the cgi but to my point about that with this motorboat i was not my eyes were not bothered by the cgi mm-hmm. like it did not, it wasn't like i've been calling it like the wonder woman effect where there's that one fight scene where her and steve are like fighting back to back and then you see they turn into video game characters almost yeah because there's so mm-hmm. much cgi and I'm just like, man, it just it's a, it's that thing that pops out for me, and it kind of like bothers yeah. me a little bit. But you get it because one, it's it's special effects, and there's only so much stuff you can do. But with this one, it doesn't bother me. Like it just, I think it's just it's so well done, and the action's really well paced. Like the camera, how it focuses on Alita, yeah. like throughout throughout the match i'm just like wow man like this is like really intense this is really good and then like the it was also really cool that like she doesn't realize they're all trying to kill her that's so good she's like like she doesn't she's like okay go easy on me guys and the one that is like sure sure sweetheart (laughs) she's just like and i mean that was one of my things about alita is just like she's very much like you see her grow so much like Hector, you kind of mentioned already. Like she's like an adolescent when we like meet her, but yeah. then she's really grown into her own as a young woman, like this confident person. Um, and she just, I think she just really comes into her own. And that scene for me is like really sh- her shining of like, like, of course, there's the fight scene too before that, like the bar scene. But like that, there's just like so much going on. She's just so capable. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so clean and it's so well done compared to other compared to other action movies like that. And yeah. I don't know how, how y'all feel about Speed Racer. I really, truly love that movie. I think it is fantastic. And there's there's we, a lot. Yeah. We can yeah. consensus that it's a good movie. We can, yeah. like we said, it's a good movie. We did that, like, um, what, episode three? Three or four? Five, I think, even. Five, but it was just yeah. Because like, it's not, it's weird. It's like, is it a good adaptation? No, but it's like, it's a good movie. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. like, it gets it's, way it's, more hate than it deserves. Yeah, it yes. doesn't deserve much hate, and it doesn't have to be like the 1960s Speed Racer, right? Like, right from the right from the anime, because like honestly, when you rewatch those things, it's dated as hell. But yeah. like, what they did with that movie, it's not terrible. Like our mm-hmm. favorite scene, our favorite scene is why are you so pale. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. Come on. It, it, it works. It just it, it is yeah. something that really does work like it, with with its modern updating and western yeah. production. Yes, and I it, need to go back and 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 watch like the original Speed Racer anime and I need to go back and read some comics and stuff cuz I feel like it's a good adaptation. I feel like there's the the that the that the, the meat of that is in the details. I love the mm-hmm. idea that the Wachowskis made everything in the shot in focus, even the mm-hmm. mountains in the far background, because when you watch the anime, the mountains are drawn with like the you know the same sort of focus and detail that like oh. the something in the foreground would be. So yeah. it's just this really interesting approach to like adapting a cartoon mm-hmm. that I think yeah. it's a successful adaptation of a cartoon. Um, but I think Alita is a better like manga anime slash 
uh, adaptation altogether. Like it just, it feels more Japanese while still being like a Western production, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like yeah. the tropes really help, like bringing those to life. Yeah. 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 And I think, and the other thing too, cause, um, I had heard people complaining about that. She goes, Hey, yeah. <laughs> when she's fighting sometimes uh-huh. but i'm like she does it in the ova like mm. that is almost exactly how alita sounds in the ova um yeah. and i i appreciated it mm-hmm. like it felt like anime fighting it was mm-hmm. it was just right. really good you and make ridiculous. sounds when you fight and that's a completely right? normal sound to like expel when you are making when you are making a move <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. I enjoyed it so much. And I didn't think I would. I, I don't watch 3D movies because they make me sick. Yep. Um, but from everything I hear, the fighting is that much better in 3D. Oh, I could not it, do it. It's phenomenal. It's wonderful 3D. It's really, really good. I, I, I used to work in 3D post-conversion. I used to do it mm-hmm. for four years. I am pretty familiar with what is good and bad 3D. And uh, for for people who like it for people who care about it i think that it's really really good there was a bunch of screenings out here in la that were like only available in in 3d Uh and i don't know if that's something that james cameron and their team like are trying to push for but um i'm happy about it because i think 3d is something that is very misunderstood it's something that's dying out i think that a lot of people that don't like it haven't tried enough of it and kind of don't know you know, sort of what's good versus bad. I, 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 we could get into this whole thing because I have a whole sort of long history <laughs> and a real passion about 3D. But I will also say too that my favorite 3D stuff is when I can watch it on my 3D TV in my living room. Uh-huh. Um, not to say that big screen 3D can't be great, but like I've always found it to be way clearer, crisper, and more mm-hmm. enjoyable, you know, in the comfort of your room where you can kind of see the whole screen as opposed to, yeah. listen, back in the day, I got tickets to see one of the Hobbit movies in 3D, and already that movie's not the best, but I yeah. had tickets mm-hmm. to go see The Hobbit, and it was an IMAX, and then, like, it was, like, a full screening, so I'm sitting up in the front, and that's not a good 3D experience. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was my so, exact Hobbit experience, the very yeah. first Hobbit movie. That's how I watched mm-hmm. it, and I, yeah. like, half of the screen was fuzzy because it didn't fit into where my eyes mm-hmm. were looking. Right, right, um, and, that's, and that's a problem, and I wish that, like, I wish that when they, I wish that movie theaters, and more importantly, movie studios kind of cared more about it, and they did a better job at um, like marketing 3D? Because I'll give you another great mm-hmm. example. I, I, I've been buying 3D Blu-rays for as long as they've come out. And in the past year, the big sort of companies and movies and franchises that were still putting them out stopped in North America. Uh. So so I couldn't get Thor Ragnarok in 3D or Black Panther in 3D or Avengers Infinity War. I had to import them from the UK. I couldn't get Incredibles 2 in 3D from Pixar, which is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I had to import it from the UK on like a region-free Blu-ray. And that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. Like I had to to import Coco in 3D. Um, And and those those movies, especially the animated films, especially, you know, some of the Marvel movies and action movies, Mm -hmm. they're well done. And I had wished that for years, and this is me coming from somebody who, who worked in, in on the 3D side of, of movies for a couple of years, for four years. So I kind of know about how things went down. I was working on 3D movies right before the first Avatar came out. And then I worked for an extra, you know, couple of years after that. Um, so I've seen how it's sort of gone up and down and crashed and burned. I wish that movie studios cared more so that when they put out a 3D screening of Hobbit, for example, that they would specify to their theaters, okay, you can't sell tickets for seats, you know, in the first four rows or whatever. Yeah. If your theater is laid out this way, like it has to be, a, you know, this way. I wish that they had done a better job of marketing it 
at a, at a Best Buy so that people would actually give a shit and want to buy a 3D TV because then when because I've had so many people you guys come over to my apartment for for movie screenings I'm doing the Marvel movies over the next couple of weeks and people come over that that don't like 3D they don't know enough about it they're not interested in it it hurts their eyes it hurts their head they come over to my apartment and watch it on my couch and they're like oh this is great this is awesome it's clear I can see it and it adds to the story versus it being like a gimmicky thing so so I'm so I'm really bummed that it, that overall nobody cares about 3D, but I'm happy to report for those that do, Alita Battle Angel, they did a really good job on it. They knew where to push it and where not to do it. The action stuff where she's flying at the screen and the and the Garishka's like finger hands are, you know, the chains, the yeah. pieces. Mm-hmm. And they're like all of that stuff looks awesome, but also the quieter scenes is I think the thing that people don't really notice when you're watching 3D movies is like where it's just two people talking. They're mm. not uncomfortable to look at they they know where to place the depth and what to use for to you know to kind of further the storytelling and that the mood in that moment and it was all really really done there's only a couple little minor things that i would say as a as a 3d uh like viewer that i'm kind of looking for that were like not good but it's super minor and it's stuff that most people don't really ever notice so if there's anybody listening to this that's like gonna try it out i would say to try it but here's the trick if you're gonna go to the theater Try your best to get a seat ahead of time in the middle of the theater, in the middle of the theater, meaning middle from like the sort of back to the front and middle left to right. When you get that nice sweet spot where you can kind of see the whole screen in your purview, you can see everything in your viewpoint. Um, then you and, and it's another tricky thing, too, because not every theater has like great digital projection or whatever. Like, you know, not every theater is going to really care about making sure that the 3D looks really good and that they have the right brightness levels and all that stuff. But, but if, but everybody, every town in America has like a good theater and a bad theater, go to the good one. You know what I'm talking about (laughs) in your town, go to the nice one. And and if you wanted to try it out, um, I had a lot of fun with it and I thought that it, that it added to the movie, but, uh, but, but from hearing from you guys, it looked like there were also 2d screenings available, which was not the case in, in my neck of the woods. So that's cool Ah, that people can do it that way too. Yeah, because cool. for me, I've kind of hit the I avoid 3D movies. I haven't seen one in a really long time just because I get really sick. But it's also probably because like I either sit really close or I purposely mm-hmm. sit on the end because I don't like mm-hmm. sitting next to people I don't know. Mm-hmm. Nisha, you will experience this when we start going to our South by screenings. I refuse to sit next to people I don't know. <laughs> so usually it's like me on the very end and then my husband on the inside seat. So I never have to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I mean... I Alita, I, Alita is something that one I would love. I want to see again in theaters. Um, yeah, and two, I, I would love to actually experience it that way. I'll, I'll even put my contacts in. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but to do a little bit of the numbers, um, right now Alita is sitting at forty-two million grossed in the U.S. and ninety-four foreign, which puts it at one hundred and thirty-seven, a little over one hundred thirty-seven million. The budget was one hundred and seventy million, um, and it still hasn't opened up in Japan and China. So oh, this is cool. a really good pace, a okay. really really good pace, and a really good sign. Yeah, for sure. Um, so hopefully we get another one. Um, and then it is critics have it at a 60%, but audience has it at a 93. Really? Yeah, on Rotten That's Tomatoes. Very interesting. That's very so, interesting. 
um, which is something that I've I've actually seen on my feed. Like I have yet to see. I think my the 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 film critics I followed had a lot to say about it negatively, but a lot mm-hmm. of just like the people I followed has have had like amazing experiences with Alita. Well, look, um, you're gonna get. I I love. I have a buddy who really really loves it when a movie gets a 60 percent on rotten tomatoes because he's not a fan of rotten tomatoes because it's also you know people use it incorrectly he has to Mm -hmm. point out constantly if a movie has 95 percent, it could just mean that every single one of those critics just gave it a passing grade like they're like this is okay Mm -hmm. you know versus something that that has a 60 percent to him usually indicates that some people will love it some people will hate it but there's an opportunity for like something different and interesting in that and yeah. and sure enough mm-hmm. a bunch of the movies i love i mean i know speed racer has not a great rotten tomatoes score like there's a movie that i love john carter came out from disney yeah. from 2012 oh, like, i remember that people don't like that movie but i love it and that's sitting yeah. at like a 55 or something percent like somewhere in there and mm-hmm. i'm like i'm like yeah but i love that movie and and i you know i, I read a lot of criticisms of something like that and i'm like yeah sure but but see this movie speaks to me so it's like yeah. it, you know it's mm-hmm. It's, it's. I think that's a good thing. I think that, that this movie is yeah. not for everybody, but for those who it will be for, it's going to hit in a big, bad way. Yeah, and I think the ratings, like you said, like that's a good indication that this this movie can spark discussions. Like we've been talking for over an hour and a half, and we've yeah. kind of like delved into different parts of like what we liked, what we didn't like, um, and I just I feel like that's really a good point is just like, you're going to have people who hate it and you're going to have people who love it. But I think that makes me want to go watch it more. I kind of tend to like, not really go by Rotten Tomatoes when a new yeah. movie comes out mm-hmm. because it's always so skewed when it's like, it's a hundred percent certified fresh, but I'm mm-hmm. just like, okay, but why is it like, yeah. like, I think green, was it green book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that movie. Yeah. Mahershala's movie that just came out. I'm just like, no, I'm good. I don't yeah. want to. I'm just. Like, <laughs> I'm, just it, yeah. it, I'm like. I'm just. I'm giving it time. Like at, let let the Oscars down die down. Like maybe I'll go eventually go to see it. Mm-hmm. But like it's just like when people like rave about it so much, I'm like, why do y'all love this movie so? I'm like, I'm I'm kind of. I get suspicious when it's like it's 100. Yeah. percent Perfect. And then like I'm gonna give it some time and let the critics die down. Then I'm gonna go like and like forget all about all that. Just mm-hmm. because I just I feel like I rather go into a movie with a sixty percent or a seventy percent and give it a shot versus like something that everybody claims they love and then I because I've been burnt that way before when I go see mm-hmm. a movie that's like oh it's absolutely great I'm like is it though mm-hmm. I mean and that's also why like I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes movies mm-hmm. for action movies or comic movies sometimes yeah. because then you'll get like that one yeah. dude who had to review it for his website but it's really not his bag. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like, it was a standard comic book movie, thirty percent. Like, how like, many people did so that with Black Panther? It, exactly. I'm like, so so it did its job, mm-hmm. but that's not like. I wish it took it took into account is this somebody who actually cares about these types of movies because um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that changes it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but um, we can do round of final thoughts, and then we'll get out of here. Um, but uh, thank you so much, Hector, for coming on. You guys, um, this was a blast. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I love. I loved everything you had to say. I loved everything we all said. Um, You're welcome anytime. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, guys. And uh, my final thought is. Give Robert Rodriguez big budgets, please. <laughs> like, I love seeing what he could do with a big budget. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that, that's kind of my final thought. That and cast Rosa Salazar in all the things. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I think that's going to happen. Yeah. My my final thought is, uh, I hope that we get a sequel to this. Mm-hmm. I hope that a lot of the people who put together the first one get to come back. And, um, and I'd like to see even a part three and then maybe that's it. Like maybe find a way to put those nine volumes of the manga across three movies Mm-hmm. And I would be a happy camper. And 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 I and I remember I tweeted it originally when I first saw the movie when I was in New Zealand, when I flew down there for the press, which uh-huh. is I want more anime and manga adaptations like this. Yeah. And that mm. means that you take care about adapting the subject material and you understand what makes it unique and cool and you leave that intact and don't yes. make Goku a high schooler and then you'll be golden. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, that is, oh man. Yeah. Hector, you're my favorite guest so far. Please oh, thank you so much. Thank <laughs> yes. you. <laughs> yes. Um, so my final thoughts are a few things. I like the pacing of this movie a lot. Like, I think, it, I think it's just a really well paced movie because it does a really gra- great job of just like world building and character building and developing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I'm glad Hugo is gone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I think we don't have like I mean we can totally drag him for the next five minutes but I'm like I I just did not there's just something about him I did not like from the get-go this is so mean but I didn't like his face he had it like a punchable face to me (laughs) like I don't know he just looked he you can't be that handsome living in the slums I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> he I'm looked kidding. whiny to me. I don't know if that makes sense. He did, and I think I it took me to watch the OVA to have a slight bit more empathy towards his character than I did for him in the live action. It took for me to watch the mm. OVA to realize, oh, this is why he's so focused on his dream. But then I'm just like, you're really selfish. And you're not thinking like you are a piece. Your body is not. Go- they're not gonna let you into Zalem with that body. Like I'm. I'm and this isn't me. This isn't, <laughs> not, this isn't me body. I'm not body shaming. I'm, I'm sorry. That sounded terrible. But you are a head on a on a on a robot body now. They're not going to let you into Zalem. If they didn't let you into Zalem the way you looked before, they're not gonna let you in now. How are you going to, you don't even have any money. I, there was just like so much hmm. in that scene. And I know it was supposed to be very emotional, but then I watched the anime and I'm like, okay, I feel a bit more emotion. But at the same time, you're not thinking, sir. <laughs> but he did just go, I have to keep reminding myself, he did just really go through a traumatic thing and his head is on a robot's body. So he hasn't processed that yet correctly. But <laughs> it's just like, Alita is willing to give up so much. She's willing to give him her heart for him to stay, for him to be happy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, even that's not enough for him. And I'm just like, ah. and then you realize he was doomed anyway. Like mm-hmm. he was, because he's like, oh yeah, he's going to send me to Zalem. He's going to take your organs and send them to Zalem. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, I've gone, I, I realized this is, sorry, Hector, this is what I do on this no. show. I'm, we didn't get to hear it. your thoughts. We didn't get yeah. to hear your thoughts. Yeah. But like I was saving this towards the end anyway, so we didn't have to like di- like drag him too much. But like I, there was just like so much there with that character, and it took for me like to explore it over, which makes me now want to go and read the manga to see if like will I care about him more or will I not? He's like Goku levels of me not having <laughs> Goku the live action adaptation. Let me just specify because Dragon Ball Super has my feelings mm. growing on Goku better, but mm. it's like. Uh, he is that level, like, this kid is that level of, of like, my likability. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I swear. Oh, no, and I want Lana, and I want Lana Condor. 
to come back yeah. in the sequel, and I want her and Alita to be friends. Ooh, yeah. I'd be totally down with that. That would be good because, like, just because Hugo's gone doesn't mean that like she can't and be Jorge. friends with like the one the one that's alive. Yeah, <laughs> and, Jorge, and Jorge's gone too. So you mean like I'd really like it if like you know we got more women in scenes together talking and it not yeah. being related to the boy they like. Yeah, and, that that is a really good point. Is that that's a holdover from anime, right? Like it's usually. Like one woman, whole bunch of dudes. Sometimes mm, outside yeah. of harem, of it's a it's a yeah, it's a holdover from the Smurfs. It's a holdover from yeah, everything. yeah. <laughs> the entire yeah. history of media. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. I got that off my chest. No, no, mm. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I'm I'm here for you dragging a character because I feel like you do it every time, and I'm I always can. here for it. I, I literally give me an anime I've watched, and there's probably a character I'll drag. Not like, <laughs> not to, not to shit on, not to hate on, but like I will just like pick at flaws that bothered me. I, have to, I feel like I have to make sure that's known. I don't just hate things, y'all. <laughs> it's strategic. So, uh-huh. what, so what would we rate this? And if this is the first time you're listening, we rate on how many drinks of alcohol did we have to take in order to watch this or watch it again. Um, hmm. zero is the best and 10 is the worst. Oh, yeah. um, well, I would say I, t- 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 I would need zero drinks to watch Alita again. But the second mm. time I watched it, when I went to the theater, they had that swanky little bar inside the theater. And I was like, I'm going to get their little Alita themed drink. And I had a great time. So like, I would, <laughs> want, I would want a drink or two while watching the movie just for fun, but it's a zero needing of a, of a drink for me to watch it again. Nice. <laughs> Mm, let's see for me honestly i'm gonna give it just see it's complicated because <laughs> I, I just I, I truly don't believe things are perfect but it's hard to say that when i did say lupin the third was perfect <laughs> our lupin movie was perfect um but no, I, I would give it also a, said that about roni kenshin too did i yeah, see there i go i'm contradicting myself all right i'm gonna give it a one and it's it's that one is because i'd have to get through Hugo again <laughs> yeah um, oh and one and a half because i want the nurse to have more lines yes okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. the black nurse i want her to have more mm-hmm. character development she was there mm-hmm. but i want more just a little bit that's fair um i'm gonna go with one for your same reason hugo <laughs> gosh i i gotta get past yeah. that like because he's not a lot of the movie he, he's quite a bit but mm-hmm. I, I just like I like Alita more by herself, which Thanks. we're gonna get hopefully mm-hmm. if we get a second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why don't you tell everybody who's listening where they can find you, Hector? You guys uh, can find me on the internet at Hector is funny. I'm also on episodes of DC Daily that you can catch on uh, YouTube and on the DC Universe uh, app streaming platform and i'm also on uh, uh um just just follow me at hector is funny on twitter and instagram and i post all my stuff and thank you so much thank you so much for coming thank on. you yeah. um and as always you can find us at dyht underscored pod on twitter let us know what you thought about alita and uh make sure that if you're listening to this on itunes that you take a minute to rate review and subscribe to us um it really helps us out and it's the best way to support us and you can find me at omithrandier on twitter and you guys can find me at twitter on well i messed that up anyways you guys can find me on twitter at la underscore n-e-y underscore s-h-a that's la nisha 
And yeah, now I have to do the close. Now, now you got to do your, your Dragon Ball Z close out. I got this. I got this. Will I ever stop shitting on you, though? <laughs> <laughs> Will we get a sequel to Battle Angel Alita? Oh, dang it. Alita Battle Angel? Yes. And will I remember to call it the correct name? (laughs) (laughs) Find out next time on Did You Have To. Bye.